Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Wrong Kind of Christian podcast. I'm your host, Megan Martin. And today we have a special guest joining us. Natalie Vecchione is a, uh, well, she has a lot of titles. She's a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder parent advocate. I had to read that one to make sure I got it all right there. <laughs> a, a homeschooler uh, and the host of, of the podcast FASD Hope. So Natalie, thanks for, for taking some time to talk to me. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Natalie, what I just gave was a very, um, a very, very short description of all the things that you do. And so I left out a lot of that. Like you are um, a board certified music therapist. I don't even really know what that is, but that for 25 years, right? Yes. And yes. a certified, you're certified in mental health first aid. Yes. And um, those are your professional credentials. Actually, the certified mental health first aid I received um, when I went on sabbatical for music therapy. I did that actually for personal, um, you know, because of our, our son had been hospitalized. And we I did that one more for personal familial reasons, which, um, yeah, yeah, that one was, was after. <laughs> no, but I highly, it, it was a wonderful training. And, and it's like CPR, but for, you know, and for um, mental health. So I, I definitely, if you, um, you know, are, if you're interested in that, I can, I can give you the link for that. But yeah, that's, it's definitely a good training to have. If you will um, send that to me, we'll make sure to link it on here in case any listeners are, are interested, but that's, that sounds interesting and, and probably something that we deal with a lot that we could probably use in, oh in life. Especially, a lot. yeah, nowadays. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so your mom, and like I said, you just launched uh, and your wife, so those two things don't just get shoved off in the corner. Those are the big things. You just recently launched your podcast, FASD Hope, like back in October, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've been podcasting since April of last year. Um, I was podcasting for a local state nonprofit about FASD um, and it, it, over the summer, I had some autoimmune issues, and I had become ill. And I, I was also doing some jobs for other um, other nonprofits as well, not non-paid, just volunteering. And I really just stepped back, and I prayed, and my husband and I prayed, and um, just really, really um, used that time to listen to the Lord and to, you know, figure out where he was leading me, especially with all of the lived experience, you know, we, we had had, um, particularly with our son who has an FASD and, um, that actually, um, just that whole, um, that whole journey, um, led me to hear, you know, the, just had the Holy Spirit lead us to, to starting FASD hope, um, which, because we, we know that, um, the journey that we're on as, as, um, you know, parents, um, we want families and caregivers to know that they're not alone and that there is hope, you know, and, um, we also wanted an opportunity to, to share our faith. Um, you know, there, there were a couple times in the, in the first podcast where, um, I, I was kind of scolded for talking about my faith and, um, that was actually the reason, one of the reasons that I left was, um, you know, 
don't tell me what to do about my faith, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure yeah. that, um, you know, many people have been told that. So, uh, yeah. So, so, um, yeah, I've been podcasting actually since COVID since, you know, April and, um, and then we launched FASD hope in October and, um, it, it's been a pretty amazing journey. And tell us about, about that. So you talked a, a little bit about why you kind of started but what, tell us about this FASD journey. What was it that, that kind of inspired you to go ahead and say, Hey, somebody else needs to hear this too. So to give your audience a little background about FASD, um, FASD stands for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, most people, when they think of fetal alcohol exposure, they usually think of the worst of, of the five diagnoses under the umbrella, which is fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and fetal alcohol syndrome is where you have, um, you know, it's when um, the alcohol exposure has done um, the most damage, where you have facial characteristics, where you have, you know, significant um, physical uh, limitations, significant, you know, physical defects, significant, um, just it affects, it's the most severe. Um, however, Alcohol is the most severe of any substance that an unborn child can have. So a lot of people think that um, meth or opioids or prescription, you know, medications or crack or cocaine um, are right. the worst, you know, of the substances that, that can cause damage, but it's al actually alcohol. Um, and um, I have said on, on other uh, podcasts before, if you think about the Bible, and what the angel told Samson's mother not to drink when when she found out she was pregnant. So it's actually in the Bible, you know, and people <laughs> kind of forget that. But our culture is so ingrained in alcohol and, and um, alcohol is not only the worst substance that can um, be exposed to an unborn child, but it's also... Um, it's also the most available substance. It's legal, you know. Um, right. Pediatricians, most pediatricians, they ask if, you know, a woman is pregnant, they ask about, you know, smoking or drug use. You know, many of them do not ask about alcohol, you know, or they assume that the woman's not drinking. Right. Um, so getting back to FASD, FASD is a brain-based whole body disability. It's lifelong. You don't outgrow it. Um, there, there are a number of diagnoses under the FASD umbrella, including alcohol-related birth defects, um, alcohol, neurodevelopmental. There are several diagnoses, um, you know, under, including the others that I had mentioned. Um, alcohol, it is a spectrum disorder. FASD is a spectrum disorder. So, Depending on a number of factors, including prenatal care, how much alcohol was consumed, when alcohol was consumed, those all play factors into how um, someone that has an FASD will have symptoms. So um, one of the, the fallacies is that, you know, it's you have to have what people often refer to as the face. Right. Um, actually, only about 10% of people that have an FASD have those facial characteristics. So it really is an, un, um, it, it is an invisible disability for, for so many. Um, FASD is the most common developmental disability in the Western world. It's more common than autism. It's really? more common than cerebral palsy. Many people don't know that. And that's because it's the most 
misdiagnosed, um, it's the most undiagnosed, and it's the most underdiagnosed developmental disability. And um, I'll share with you my story, and you'll hear how um, it, it, it often gets misdiagnosed and undiagnosed. So um, those all those factors plus our family's journey led my husband and I in, in creating FASD Hope, which is a podcast. It's a website, and we um, we we basically consider it to be a ministry to be um, to serve the Lord by being um, being resources and giving hope to those families who um, have loved ones that are affected by FASD. I work in the early childhood field, like in my quote unquote day job, right? And I've had training on this, but even then, I didn't realize that it was a spectrum thing that I just kind of assumed that it was either, you know, I don't know what I thought, like how they go about testing for this or or whatever. I just assumed, I think that um, at birth, we kind of knew if this was something that they were going to deal with or not. I had no idea that it was a, a wide range of a spectrum and possibly yeah. misdiagnosed and all of that. And, and and actually, so in our son's case, and in many cases, um, usually when they're born, um, if, a, if a child is born um, having been exposed to alcohol, in the beginning, most of the most of the symptoms that come out are medical. And, um, and then as they get older, like say around two, even younger than that, three, then they become, you still have the medical issues, but then you see more of the developmental and, and as they grow, um, you'll hear, you'll see more, um, more of the characteristics come back, um, and then, you know, new ones because, you know, you're, you're, um, you're working with a child that has, you know, multiple delays in multiple doma- domains. So um, often what gets diagnosed are the symptoms. So things like, you know, um, impulsivity and a, a decreased attention gets diagnosed as ADHD or, um, you know, social inability to have, um, you know, social interactions gets diagnosed as a, um, autism or ASD. So um, that's one of the many reasons why it's, it's misdiagnosed or undiagnosed. Um, yeah, so, so my husband and I, we, uh, we were blessed to um, have built our family through adoption. Um, both our son and our daughter adopted. Our son is now 18. He'll be 19 this year. And our daughter is five and a half. Um, we have a 13-year age gap between our children, and uh, that is God's orchestration, <laughs> 100%. Um, so we brought our son home when he was two and a half weeks old. He was, um, the agency told us that he had medical conditions, and he was in uh, the NICU, um, and, and we were told of his medical conditions. Um, there was no um, record of the prenatal um, of prenatal alcohol exposure, except there were questionable things that later when we went back and, 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 you know, finally got his diagnosis 15 years later, um, you know, they added up a lot of things and, and, you know, so um, when he came home, he was um, very small. He had um, medical issues. We, at the time we were living in Philadelphia and um, we went to, you know, um, a, 
couple of local children's hospitals and um, were seen, he was seen for his various, you know, medical conditions, um, GI, um, other, you know, just other things that he, he had going on, which again, we later found out everything was tied into the, the prenatal alcohol exposure. Um, and, you know, my husband and I were just elated being new parents and just, you know, oud and odd over and, and, you know, we, we dealt with the medical because we knew about the medical. Um, and then, um, as he grew older, he started kind of regressing developmentally. Um, so really it, it was about the time and, and, you know, talking with other parents, um, this is kind of a common um, theme when they see the developmental kind of part. Um, it's usually around 12 to 18 months to two years, you know, any time between one and two years, because that's when you see a lot of milestones that are supposed to be happening. Um, so it was about that time um, he started regressing in his, um, you know, attachment, um, regressing in, in, in social skills, regressing in speech, um, just kind of went backwards a lot in speech. And he started having a lot of sensory issues, um, sensory seeking and sensory avoiding. And the, the biggest red flag that went off, because at the time I was still working as a music therapist in early intervention. Um, so <laughs> it was, you know, a blessing that I was, um, I, I was in that field. So, you know, that, that kind of sent off, you know, red flags for me um, long before I became a parent advocate. And um, so we went to um, a, a local hospital. It wasn't the one we usually went to um, because we, he needed to sleep study because he was having night terrors at the age of um, just a little under two years old. And for those of you who know child development, night terrors usually happen when they're about five or six, you know, maybe even four. Um, but two is, is not when night terrors happen in children. So that was a red flag. Um, so we did a sleep study and, um, a sleep study is really an oxymoron when you have a toddler because there's no sleep and <laughs> you really don't learn. Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. So, We've been through a few oh my of those. Goodness. Yes. Oh, oh, there. Yeah. It, it's, it's, yeah, it's a misnomer. It's uh, nobody sleeps and you, you really don't learn anything. So, um, the hospital we went to, um, like I said, was a different hospital than the one we usually went to. And my husband and I went in and we were, you know, waiting for the results. And, um, this pediatric neurologist came in and, um, you know, uh, he came in with a bunch of medical students who, um, you know, he, he had with him and, um, we were just expecting for him to go over the results and just tell us the next steps. So he came into the room and, um, he looked at our son and he said, and he wasn't even talking to my husband and I, he was talking to the students. He looked at our son and said, look at him. He's been exposed to alcohol and he has mild fetal alcohol effects, which that is an oxymoron because there's no such thing as mild fetal alcohol effects. Fetal alcohol is brain damage and body damage. It's, there's nothing mild about it. So, and he started rattling off a bunch of things, you know, and, and, and he was talking so quickly and talking to the students. My husband and I, like, we, we were in shock. We, we couldn't believe it. this was the first time any professional had told us. And, and our son was almost two years old. So my husband and I said, you know, this is the first time we're hearing this. What do we, you know, what do we do? So he just, he simply said, put him in early intervention and he'll be fine. Which again is looking back, you know, sixteen and a half years later, looking back, you know, that's not. 
it, that's not what happens. It's a lifelong disability. Um, early intervention will help, but without the proper diagnosis, which we did not have that diagnosis. The other thing was he never wrote that diagnosis down. So it took us 13 years later to finally get the written diagnosis of our son having a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, and that was when he was hospitalized. Um, you know, 13 years later, he actually also has um, bipolar disorder, which is very common. So um, the number is, I want to say it's approximately 90% um, of individuals that have an FASD also have an accompanying mental health diagnosis, um, which our son did. Um, so um, going through school, um, we didn't start homeschooling until um, seven years ago. Um, so he was in regular school. He was in private school. He was in Christian school. Um, and, and just he was not able to get his needs met because, you know, of the way his brain was impacted by alcohol. He would do well in some things and, you know, not so well in other things. He would need support in some areas, but then he'd be okay in other areas. And, and that's one of the primary characteristics of um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder is inconsistent memory, poor working memory, and um, inconsistent where some days an individual is able to retrieve information and some days they're not. Um, so some of the other primary characteristics which we had seen um, were things like impulsivity, um, sensory processing, um, slower processing, and we especially saw that with our son with auditory and, and um, visual, where it took him longer to process information. Um, again, all because of, of the way the in alcohol impacts the brain. Um, things like a, a big hallmark in uh, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and this is even compared to, to you know other substance abuse, to other um, brain diagnoses, is... Um, a, a difference in chronological age versus developmental age. And it actually gets wider as the individual gets older, older because expectations, um, you know, as somebody gets older, you expect more, you know, and you expect to them to be able to remember their locker combination or to carry out, you know, a, a five-step, you know, process or whatever. So um, our, our son, especially, and again, he, as he grew older, he piled up uh, quite a few diagnoses, things like ADHD, anxiety, depression, um, learning disability, visual processing disorder, sensory processing. He, we call it the alphabet soup of medical acronyms. He basically acquired those. Um, and when he was um, 15, um, you know, he had, unfortunately, um, things were not he was not doing well um, as far as what we at the time thought was depression was actually bipolar disorder. Um, we had shortly before he was 15, we moved to North Carolina. We were living at New York in the time we had moved from Philly to New York and, and uh, we moved to North Carolina and we found a wonderful um, FASD consultant. Um, we had we would bring up what that doctor said to so many different specialists, you know, as he, you know, as our son um, grew older and developed more symptoms. And 
they people would just you know doctors would either just brush it off or say no no he doesn't look no that's that's not it um so so many times we were told no um however um again just that mama bear advocate you know you you are your child's best advocate you know and um people um you know people would just say you know all the things that were you know were wrong and, and, um, especially in school, in the school setting. So we had decided, um, you know, just before, um, middle school around middle school to pull him out and I started homeschooling him. So when we moved to North Carolina, we were homeschooling. Um, we had also adopted our daughter shortly before, and, um, we found a consultant and she sent us to a, um, a psychiatrist, um, who is now retired, and um, she um, saw um, individuals that had adolescents that had both, um, you know, brain-based um, diagnoses like autism, ADHD, and FASD, as well as mental health conditions. And um, she, you know, she saw our son and, and had agreed that, you know, yeah, she suspected FASD. Um However, our son's um, condition, and and this was one of the reasons why I went to mental health first aid, um, mental health, you know, the mental health training, um, he, you know, kind of deteriorated and he needed to be hospitalized. You know, he was unstable. Um, Actually, he was, um, you know, he, we were very afraid he was going to hurt himself um, badly. And so thankfully, um, thank the Lord that, you know, he was hospitalized and he was stabilized. Um, and it broke me. I can tell you it broke me. Um, I never was, you know, since the day we brought him home, I'd never been apart from him, you know, maybe just an occasional overnight sleepover or something like that. But, um, you know, nobody wants your child hospitalized. Um, and, and it broke me and I learned in that brokenness, I, I learned, what the Lord wanted from my husband and I, um, you know, once we got the answer that we had been praying for, we weren't praying for him to have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, but we were praying for an answer and we got the answer and it was a a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And that gave us, um, it gave us a launching pad so that we could say, okay, now we need to learn how his brain works and we need to learn what accommodations that we need to make, because that's a a big, um, it's a big word we use in the FASD community is that, um, just like if you have an individual that has a physical disability, you know, a mobility disability, you're going to make accommodations. You have to do that for someone that has a brain-based disorder, just such as fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, so we received, you know, we received training, we, did a lot of workshops, training, whatnot. And we learned, um, and, and it took a while, you know, it took a while, honestly. Um, you know, and because of the nature of FASD, FASD, the, the, the simplest way I can describe it is if you think of somebody that has a traumatic brain injury after they were born, and you think of those symptoms and those characteristics and how it affects them and how it's different day to day, that's what FASD is like, except the injury happened before birth. So when you think of it that way, it puts things into perspective a lot. Um, so, you know, it, it was 
It was a long road. We learned um, one of the things we, one of the many things we learned is it, it grew us closer as a family. It grew us in our faith. Um, we also encountered, you know, unfortunately, um, we had to do some church shopping because we encountered some um, some not so great responses to our son. You know, people, um, unfortunately, I have to say that um, when you have a child that has sensory issues, when you have it, such as autism or FASD, um, you know, most um, most places, you know, especially if they're larger churches, they have difficulty in making accommodations, you know. So we would have to do things like my husband and I would have to, you know, my, my husband would take our daughter and, and, you know, bring her down to right. children's church and I would wait until worship music was over. And then as soon as it was and it was quiet, my, my son and I would kind of sneak in the back and listen to the pastor and then sneak out, you know. And and I I really... You know, I I can't stand that 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 happens. You know, um, but um, it it's we have to, you know we have to worship in our own way because you know we have to make accommodations. We we do. Um, so um, since COVID, we've been home churching, which has been a blessing, and actually that's been a huge blessing um, because we're able to do you know we we watch our our pastor, we watch church, and then we also do our Bible study and and, and we praise and worship and. Um, it's actually brought us much closer as a family. So our son finished homeschool um, this past, it'll be a year in May, so May 2020. And um, he's actually a carpentry apprentice. And uh, he's actually quite talented. And um, that's one of the things that I feel, I know that the Lord put in me to share with other special needs parents is that when you have a child that has you know, is, is different, you know, in whichever way, um, your mission is to be the treasure finder. You need to find the gifts that the Lord has put in them. And, um, I, I like to say that, you know, I, I, it was hard. It was very challenging, but, um, learning that our son is a gifted carpenter, you know, um, and then also he's incredibly talented with computers and computer coding. So that was another thing, another focus we did in homeschool. And he's actually doing that part-time now. Um, he's taking part-time, you know, computer coding classes online. Um, and that's an accommodation. You know, he works part-time and he takes classes part-time because his brain needs just extra time to process. So giving him that extra time um, is, is an example of a, an accommodation. I'm but, so curious. Um, we start. Sure. What uh, what was the um, the thing that kind of led you to finding out that carpentry was going to be something that he you know had this talent in? So there's this wonderful book. If anybody's interested in learning more about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, there's a wonderful book um, called trying differently rather than harder. And it's by Diane Malbin. And I'll, I'll give you the source for it. And it's also on our, um, it's on our website, fasdhope.com. And she talks about everything that I'm talking about, you know, the, the, the nature of FASD and, and, um, she lists quite a few. And if, if you think about this with other diagnoses too, um, many people that have either a brain-based diagnosis or maybe have like, for example, a visual impairment or an auditory impairment, 
they're usually well compensated in other areas of their brain, you know, particularly creativity, um, you know, music, working with their hands, everything. And our son always had this wonderful eye for detail and he was very creative. Um, and he always loved to work with his hands. Um, and, and on the same token, he loved computers and loved figuring out things on the computers. So, um, carpentry was, a was, there's a, um, here in North Carolina, there is this, it's just a blessing of a resource. Um, it's, it's a nonprofit organization called Josh's Hope. And it was founded, um, so that, um, young adults that have either mental illnesses, um, developmental disabilities, or even substance abuse, um, older teens and young adults can go and learn skills, um, so things like carpentry, culinary, um, they have a, a, a number of programs. So our son went there for a camp for two weeks, and then he also worked there um, for a while part-time, and he learned carpentry, and he was a natural. The The first cutting board he made when he was 16 and brought it home to us, I, I've never used it. I still have it. It's just a piece of work. It is a piece of art. It is a, a piece of gorgeous art. And, um, so he has since, you know, he, so when we learned that and, you know, we were, you know, homeschooling, um, I just, you know, cold called and emailed like all of the local woodworkers and, you know, were, um, carpenters and whatnot. And just said, you know, this is our story. This is our son. Um, and he has had two wonderful, incredible carpentry, um, apprentice teachers all just did it, you know, um, because they, they care for our son and, and they saw, you know, they saw his gift and actually, um, the desk that I podcast from and the desk that our, our husband, my husband works from now, um, was made by our son last year for our, uh, Christmas gift. So, cool um, yeah, yeah, it, it it is a beautiful reminder of of the gifts that we all have inside of us. So, um, in that book, trying differently rather than harder, um, she lists quite a few of of gifts that people that with FASD have. Um, so there are many, um, you know, there are many gifts and strengths, and and that's a huge um, that's a huge foundation of what when when you take brain-based or neurobehavioral parenting classes, you focus on the strengths. You know, you learn where the supports are needed, you make accommodations, but then you really focus on the strengths. And and I think that those last two years of homeschool where we were able to not only do what he needed to do to graduate homeschool, but he spent so much time in the woodshop with his teachers and not just in the woodshop. He helped his one teacher make a deck. He helped his other teacher, you know, make stairs. He, and, and it's one of the reasons why we moved out here to the country in the farm country in North Carolina, because we have a detached workshop and an attached workshop. And, um, we also have, um, we plan on converting one of our workshops, workshops into a tiny house for him so that, um, you know, when he is ready to right now, he lives in the in-law suite above our garage. So he has like this wonderful interdependence where he has his own stuff, but if he needs us, we're there. And, you know, when he's ready to have his own little tiny house, he can do that. You know, we have a, a little, um, a little under four acres. So, uh, we're able to make that accommodation. That's great. But, He'll uh, have his own little freedom, but 
independence and still be close enough. And still have that safety net. Yeah. 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 And and that's actually a big movement in in the um in the community of people that have various um, you know, diagnoses, you know, especially things like autism, um, you know, uh, brain-based diagnoses is tiny houses or, or, you know, apartments or things like that, where they have, people have, um, you know, interdependence, they have, you know, some independence, but then the things that they need assistance with, you know, Sure. The parent caregiver can be there. Yeah, absolutely. That makes complete sense. And I mean, that's just really cool. I well, and we know just like you said, in this in this brain based kind of work that we do here, the safety net is so necessary in order for them to feel secure enough to try sometimes. So yes, that's, that's awesome that he's has that capability now and, and will in the future as well. That's, that's really cool. And really cool that he's able to uh, you know, to kind of get out that energy and, and carpentry and the, the, the whole coding world is not my lingo, in oh any my way, goodness. but it just clicks yeah. for some people. It does. Not it does. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> so, and that's what led us to start FASD Hope. We, um, you know, our, our daughter is five and a half. I've, I'm homeschooling her. It's, it's a joy. It's, it's wild doing this all over again, you know, um, having a different perspective. Um, she's typically developing. She, you know, we, we have, I see gifts in her again. And I love, you know, I, I feel like with her, I'm, I'm, I'm a treasure finder with her. I, she loves art. She loves art. Um, you know, she has, uh, she loves science. She loves nature. So, um, it's, it's a fun journey. And, And I love homeschooling. I really do. And, um, it's it's so much different than virtual school from home sure. or you know yeah, pandemic schooling. Yeah. Totally not. Totally not. And and I I'm not knocking regular schooling. I I know for many people it, it it's a great fit. Um, but for quite a few kids that you know either learn differently or just have different needs, you know, homeschooling. Um, it's legal in every state. It's legal in every province in Canada. And uh, you know, we're just thankful that we're able to do it. So can I ask about the the adoption process for you? Because I'm sure that had to be a journey too. there's so many different avenues to get toward, you know, to work towards adoption. Did you guys um, like, was that something that you were, you were planning for? Was it something that kind of just came up like God said, Hey, this, this baby needs you or that's another part of our journey too. Um, when I was 16, um, I started having really horrible symptoms, um, with my cycles and, um, I have a strong familial history of, um, endometriosis and autoimmune. So, um, I actually, when I met my husband in college, it was, um, right around the time I had my first surgery, I had seen so many different doctors and it's kind of similar to our son's journey. Now that I think about it, where I saw so many doctors and they were like, no, it can't be endometriosis. You're too young, you know, and this was a long time ago and, uh, you know, it, it, things have changed, but, um, finally, you know, we found, um, a doctor, you know, um, that agreed to do a laparoscopy, um, because my symptoms, I was missing, you know, days from college, I was missing work, I was missing, 
my quality of life was just horrible. I was I was very very sick, and um, the the surgeon who did my surgery said that um, you know, and I was twenty one at the time. She said, um, "You're one of the worst cases I've I've seen." Um, and, um, so (laughs) I was friends with my husband then. And then shortly after that surgery, we started dating and, um, we, um, we married young and, you know, I told him, um, you know, we, we both finished college and we married young and, um, I told him, um, you know, there's a really good chance I'm not going to be able to have a child and get pregnant. And he said, I and this is one one of the many reasons I knew he he was meant to be my husband. He said, "I don't love you because you can carry my baby. I love you because of you." And and if we were meant to adopt, then that's that's what we'll do. So we actually tried to conceive for quite a few years while we were both in grad school, and I was actually getting sicker. Um, and so when I was twenty eight, I had a total abdominal hysterectomy. I had lost like at that point, I had lost one ovary, and um, I was just I had no quality of life. So that was um, that was uh, that was another journey of mine that you know again I at the time did not know why um, it was happening. But again, now I do just, you know, um, that that lived experience wisdom, just just, you know, I, I was, I was meant to be my daughter's mom, and I was meant to be my son's mom. And, and I, I genuinely, um, you know, know that that's what the Lord wanted for my husband and I. Um, and I can't imagine them having any other parents but us. So, no, of course um, not. yeah, so that is, so, you know, some people adopt because, you know, they, they, they've always felt a call. I, you know, I, um, I, I, my, my dad was adopted and I didn't, um, you know, I didn't like, I knew about adoption and, and it was a, you know, part of, you know, conversation and whatnot. But, um, you know, we were, we were told by, you know, the surgeon, you know, try to conceive, you know, so we married early, try to conceive, you know, your, your best chances is, is now. Sure. And yeah, as, as we were trying, you know, I was getting sicker. So yeah, so that's why we adopted and, um, our, our son. So here's a, another kind of cool, um, God orchestrated, um, you know, plan. Um, we, um, our, when we got the phone call about our son, um, we had been at that point, we had been wait, waiting a while and we got the phone call, um, you know, the, the social worker said, you know, he's still in the hospital, he has medical needs, blah, blah, blah. And we said, okay. And, and, um, you know, they said he's a boy and I I was really excited. And, um, she said he, she gave me the date of when he was born and he was born on my husband's birthday. So, um, yeah, yeah. So that, that was kind of like the, this is your boy. He's clearly meant to be with you guys. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and what a great, like with all of your, like you said, your own um, background and knowledge to kind of find some of those things that, you know, helped him before you guys were able to get this official diagnosis of, of the FASD. Like, you know, any other parent might not have been able to pick that up. God clearly put him in your life because you guys were a perfect match. That's a really cool story. We, we feel like we're the blessed ones. We really do. You know, people tell us, you know, oh, and it's, it's a compliment. You know, people say, oh, your son, you know, is, is so blessed, but we, we're the blessed ones. We're the ones who, you know, we're the ones who learned. We're the ones who grew. You know, he has taught, just when you think about, especially 
you know, how I really, you know, especially since his hospitalization, I've just really, really, you know, gone in, you know, to overdrive and studying the Lord's word and, and just following Jesus and, and really thinking about how Jesus went to people like my son, you know, people who society considered to be broken, you know, or people like me who, you know, <laughs> I, I, my, my insides are as broken as they could get, you know, but that's who, you know, Jesus goes to, he, he runs to those, those people. And, and, and I think it's a lesson for the rest of us to say, you know, okay, we need to be listening more, you know, we, we need to be, you know, learning more from, from people who society calls broken. Right. Don't push them aside. They, we can learn from them and, and move on. Yeah. I imagine that like, and you talked about it briefly that this whole journey hasn't, um, hasn't always been easy for sure. Like what get, I I mean, obviously uh, it sounds like your relationship with God got you through the toughest times. How did you work through all of that? Like, you know, all of the, the multiple diagnoses and the, uh, you know, finally getting there and the hospitalizations and all the, what must have come with that. Um, how, do you, how did you get through it? So my husband and I were actually talking about that before, um, before you and I started talking. Um, we were, we were finishing dinner and uh, we were praying and talking about it. And I think just about, I think about how broken that we were, especially, especially when our son was hospitalized, I think about how broken I felt and how I didn't know how I would get through it. And that's when I realized that um, I knew that Jesus was with me and I knew that the Lord was just filling up those broken spaces and that he would continue to do that. Um, so honestly, it it was just my faith, you know, um, and I took so much solace in God's word. I really just spent so much time in his word. Like Psalm 63 was my broken mama song, you know, just being in the shadow of the Lord's wings. That to me, I just remember falling to sleep, crying, just, just, you know, praying words over and over again, you know, um, just knowing that I was in the shadow, but I know that I was on the Lord's wings, you know? So that really, um, I, I just wasn't going to give up. I, I felt like, you know, the Lord was not giving up on us and he wasn't giving up on our family. I, I couldn't give up, you know? There have been many, many times, I, I have to say that I think the hardest times you know, besides, um, you know, our son's hospitalization, the hardest times have been the homeschooling days where he's had really um, off brain days, you know, and I would just tell my husband, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't, you know. And so that's when um, I feel like I can see where things like this can make or break a marriage. Sure. And I'm so blessed. And so, and it, it's, it, and I will be honest with you, it's come close a couple of times for us being broken, um, like really close, you know, um, but I'm so thankful that, that 
we, you know, we work together, we put our faith in the Lord, you know, we, we just, just really, really stopped listening to outside voices and just listened to what, you know, God was telling us. Um, and we also really knew when to pass the baton to each other. And I think that's really important when you have a child that has like complex needs um, or children that have complex needs. You, you know, you're going to be carrying the baton. It's, it's, you know, it's a relay. It's, but it's a long one. It's not a short race. So, you know, there are going to be times where you're going to be taking more of the load. And then you, you know, it's almost like tapping out. It's like, okay, I'm done. Here you go. Your turn. You know, so we, we've learned that, um, especially in the past, you know, three years, we've really learned taking the baton back and forth, you know. Um, and, and thankfully, again, as our son, you know, grew stable and, and, you know, he's got a wonderful practitioner now. She's amazing. We have a wonderful faith-based family therapist. He's, he's done amazing work with us. Um, we've really come from a long ways, you know, and, 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 and I, I guess that's the message that I like to tell, um, you know, our, our podcast audience and, and the people that, you know, visit our site is that we're still on this journey. You know, this journey doesn't end. So, um, you know, just, just having faith, you know, and, and being honest and real with each other. Um, and I also have to say like a final, um, answer to that question is we have a sense of humor. You have to have a sense yes. of humor in this. You really do. I, I I mean, there are some days that, you know, when I'm not praying, I'm laughing because I'm like, I never thought I'd be uttering words. Like, I'm like, what did I just say? You know, yeah. this, I, you know, it's so ridiculous. So um, you do, you have to have a sense of humor also, you know, and, and, and I think that's, that's a big part of, um, you know, being able to get through. Um, uh, the difficult times is, you know, first and foremost, your faith, secondly, your support and, and, and knowing that you're not alone, that's huge. And, and again, that's another reason why we, we founded FASD Hope and then just having a sense of humor. What are, uh, so the people who are listening, if they have questions about this, or if, if there are people who, who are dealing with this, maybe what are the resources that, uh, where can they find these resources that you have compiled and put some time into finding? So, so again, like the statistics say, um, a recent study in 2018 found that um, approximately one in 20 children have been impacted by um, an FASD. Um, in foster care, approximately 70 to 75 percent of kids in foster care have an FASD. Um, the numbers are just staggering. You know, the statistics are staggering. So um, you can visit our website, FASDHope.com, where we like to say that we're kind of like that that um, beat up old post with all the arrows in the middle of the country road that say, go here for, you know, if you're looking for a diagnosis or go here if you're looking for a book or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, there are, like I said, that book, that was one of the fir- first books I read, um, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Malvin. It's it's a very, it's not a very big book. It's actually a, a very, um, when you're in the depths and in the trenches of it, it's actually a a book that you can read and be like, ah, I get it, you know? Um, So I would highly recommend that book. Um, If you suspect that your child has an FASD, 
my best recommendation is to find, um, and you can find a list of clinics on our website, but you can just go on, um, there, there are a number of different organizations that you can find depending on where you live, um, where, uh, that have FASD clinics or FASD diagnosticians. Um, I can tell you that, you know, many doctors are not versed in FASD. And that's another one of our missions is to, to, you know, not only do we have parents that listen to us, but we have professionals that listen to us, you know, and if we can get more doctors, more teachers, more, you know, social workers, knowing about FASD and the prevalence of it and the significance of it, then we can, you know, um, that that's one of our missions, you know, so, so yes, yeah, so there, there are a number of places I can also give you a, a few links for, you know, where to start out. Um, you know, again, if you suspect it and if you are a parent and if you've just noticed that symptoms and diagnoses have been piled on, you know, um, it, the other thing to think about too is about 50% of pregnancies in the United States are unplanned. And if we think about just in COVID alone, I believe the most recent research I read was something like maternal drinking, drinking women has increased in something like 41%. It's really crazy. So yes. it really is. And and many, it's not just limited to adoption and foster care. There are so many, you know, women who either were married, it could have, you know, it, it could happen to anybody. You know, if you are trying to conceive and, you know, you don't realize you're pregnant and you have, you know, an occasional glass of wine, that can cause, you know, damage, you know, and again, it's a spectrum disorder. So the damage is going to vary from, from individual to individual. But the important thing to keep in mind is that if, if you just have any suspicion of it, rule it out, find somebody who can, who can, you know, diagnose, you know, and, and either say, no, this isn't it, or yes, I believe it is. Because when you know it, and when you know, when you realize what it is, and when you learn about the science behind prenatal alcohol exposure, you're better informed and you can start taking steps. Um, like I said, there's no cure. It's a lifelong disability, but you can make accommodations and you can take steps to help your loved ones, um, you know, adjustment to help them, you know, learn and to help them, you know, have a better quality of life. For sure. And that I, I, I just think it's fascinating that you guys are using your story in such a great way. And and I think that, um, you know, God can take our, our hardest times, our brokenness, and he can use it to to help others. And clearly you guys have allowed yourselves to be to be open to that. So thank you for that. And and thank you for taking some time to chat with me about this. I um I'll be sharing this out, of course, but I I really am just fascinated by how much that you know, like I said, I'm not like um, a prenatal expert, but this is kind of my field. And there's so much that I, I clearly don't know about it myself. So a little bit embarrassed by that. And no. it just says that I have a lot to learn. No, but and it's so many people. I mean, oh, my goodness. I, 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 I can tell you hundreds and hundreds of, of people that I've met. Yeah. Don't know a thing about it. And and if you think about it, we don't learn. I mean, I when I was in college, I didn't learn about it. And I took a lot of child development classes and I took psychology classes and whatnot. You, you don't. It's just it's not talked about. So, well, I know, appreciate we're, it. We're Natalie. praying that. Sure, sure. Thank you so much, Natalie. And um, you guys can find her at FASDHope.com and on Facebook 
And where else can they find you? Uh, our podcast is FASD Hope. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, perfect. And you you always have great guests on there. I've been listening to some of them. So I've just been kind of thank fascinated you. by the by the conversations that happen over there too. But thank you, Natalie. I appreciate it. Thank you, Megan. I appreciate being on your show today. <laughs>